In several dictionaries, the first definition of a conviction follows these lines, a formal declaration that someone is guilty of a criminal offense. For some reason, John Schleybaugh, whoever assigned me that topic last summer, I don't think that was the word, the definition of conviction they wanted me to speak about. The the second one by Merriam-Webster defines conviction as a strong persuasion or belief or the state of being convinced. How do we go about building in our children a strong conviction for something or the state of being convinced of something? And I have four points. And the first one is building conviction by biblical instruction. That's not rocket science. Before I moved to Minnesota, I worked in a tool and die shop. I was a machinist. And while most of that work requires intense concentration, there are occasions where certain jobs are time-consuming and boring and you can do it without almost thinking. When you're standing on a surface grinder and you know, grinding the wood down and going, it can take 45 minutes or an hour and you're just doing the same thing. And such was the day I was working beside a man whom I will call Harold. Harold was not a Christian. He had no time for the Lord. He was living, in his words, for the day when he can retire and start to enjoy life. It was good for me to hear. Not that that was his motif in life, but brought to the reality that I'm enjoying life right now with the burdens and the challenge of raising a family. And I told him, I said, Harold, I said, I really enjoy my life right now with all the work and responsibilities. I'm enjoying it. I can't, I said, we may never get to retirement. And uh, I was grateful to be able to testify to that. And we got along well. Our relation was not an adversarial relationship. One day he told me, and these were his words, he said, the problem with you people is you brainwash your kids. I prefer to think of them as children and refer to them as children, but we had kids, we know what they're like. They buy and they drink milk from their mama goat. But the problem with you people is you brainwash your kids. You don't let them think for themselves. He said, me, I let my kid, he had one son, he said, I let my kid watch, watch whatever he wants to in TV and he can decide what he's going to think about things. He chose the term brainwash to describe the teaching of our children. According to him, what happened in these Sunday school classes this morning is brainwashing. Praise the Lord. We talk about going to church, listening to sermons, Sunday school class, family devotions. The problem you kid, you people, you brainwash your kids. And all would come under that, his censor of brainwashing. But did Harold realize, I wondered, that someone is teaching your son? You have a problem with us doing this in the church, but someone is teaching your son. What to think? What to value, what he should do, what he should not do. Those things are happening today in our world, real time. From the writers of children's entertainment to the producers of the movies the boy watches, Harold is simply handing over to someone else the responsibility that God gives every parent to train their own sons and their daughters in the ways of God. People reject that and so they turn it over to someone else. Brothers and sisters, the sad reality is 
There are men and women across this nation and around the world that wake up every morning and their desire is to put something in film or writing that will corrupt the minds and make sin look good. That happens. It's their intent to do that. But that cheap shot that's saying you brainwash your kids, he doesn't realize that the devil has workers doing, he's trying to do exactly the same thing. And he's simply abdicating his responsibility. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture means like being a tutor. Education or training. Admonition is defined as calling attention to. Yes, it is our calling before Holy God to bring our children up, to rear them to maturity in the nurture and admonition of God's Word. From little on up, in the home, the family provides literally thousands of opportunities to do that. And I think I'm a red-blooded man that has interests just like any other man in this congregation. And it is so easy to get distracted. We can be distracted first with our work. We don't have time for the family devotions. We don't have time to take Junior and tell him, according to Scripture, this is something you need to think about because God is not pleased with this. Or when you see a son or daughter do something well, you know, son or daughter, well, I read in the Word and I saw the way you treated your friend the other day. God bless you. That's how God wants you to think. That's how God wants you to act. Thousands of opportunities enforcing the positive, uh, instructing where there's that where that is needed. That we can teach and remind what God says about things. Some of you may know this story. I didn't have it in my notes, but it came to my mind now. I trust we all have things from our Hall of Fame where we've done things right in life. you have any of those in your life? Anybody have things from their Hall of Shame that uh, where you didn't get it right? Come on, be honest. One time I was asked at his children's meeting, and I was asked by the moderator, he said, I want you to have a story for the children tonight. And so I went prepared for two with two stories. And I asked the children, there were eight or ten children there, I said, I'm supposed to tell you a story tonight, we only have time for one. I'm going to tell you a story either about when I did something right, or when I did something wrong. Which one would you like to hear? Which one do you think they picked? Why is that? I don't know which of the young men it was. I can't say his name. Perhaps it's good I don't. But I told him, I think it was today, about a bad habit I developed as a young man. I did my work half. I hope that doesn't take place in Minnesota. But my daddy, I marvel at his patience and his frustration when yours truly did his work half, I was assigned to do something, I'd do half or two-thirds of it and then get distracted and go on to something else and I always had an excuse. Daddy tried spankings and they didn't seem to work. He used a rubber hose from the vacuum tube from the milker. I tell you what, I remembered that, but that didn't cure me. I'm not sure what all else he tried, but he finally came up with a solution that worked. When his son... Only did his work half. The next breakfast, he got a half-done soft-boiled egg for breakfast. And even today, there's something akin to my stomach heading toward my tonsils when I think of swallowing an egg that's 
clear and that stringy thing from the yoke coming out to the edge, I can. I look back with appreciation because Daddy saw it was important to stick with this erring son to teach him and become convicted that God wants us to work all the time as if we're working for Him and not working for the guy that's writing a paycheck out for us. Is that true, brothers? That's a biblical conviction Dad was trying to build in me and oh, look at the lengths he went to teach me. Anyway, every father in this assembly has ideas and opinions and convictions about matters of life and those ideas, opinions and convictions certainly do have an impact in shaping the same in your children. What we must never forget is that we are to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. My opinions, my thoughts, my convictions maybe aren't exactly lined up where they're supposed to be. We're to bring them up in the nurture and admission of the Lord. To teach and instruct what God says about this or that. What does God think about me wanting to be rich? What does God want me to think about when I have time to think? How would God want me to respond in this kind of situation or son or daughter or what you face in school today? How does God want you to think in those times? What might God want me to be using my time for? What is God's purpose for my life here? It will take intentional effort on the part of a father to bring his children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's not something that's done in leftover time or when I don't know what else to do. It will take intentional effort to it. It's so easy. It's so easy to get sidetracked into making a living, going hunting. I like to hunt. I find there's a couple people here who like to do that too. Uh, and we can so easily get distracted. What a real purpose is in being here. I attended and graduated from a public school, Hempfield High School, in 1969. My parents could not afford to send us to Mannheim Christian Day School nor later to Langstrom Mennonite High School. I remember at the start of each day in public school, I'm not making this up, at the start of each day in public school, the teacher would stand up front and she would read a few verses from the Bible. Yes, this book right here. And then we would say the Lord's Prayer together. Anybody here old enough to remember when that happened, where you were? Come on, put your hand up if you remember that. Honey, are we that old? That was common in public schools in Pennsylvania until 1963 when Madeline Mary O'Hare had her way in the Supreme Court and they outlawed that. Granted, that was only two or three minutes a day, but for some people that was the only exposure to God's word they had in their life because their parents weren't church-going people. That little bit of salt was removed by the Supreme Court decision in 1963. Do you believe our nation is paying a result today because removing the conviction of God's word out of the schools? We have now had nearly 60 years that public school students are not taught anything about what God's word. In fact, it's forbidden. They try to take anything, the Ten Commandments, take it out of the public consciousness. They have not been exposed to what God says about returning good for evil. About being kind one to another. The stuff that's going on in the cities the last couple of years, 
What happened is those children would have been convicted as and convinced as little children that there is a God in heaven and he said, be kind one to another. Truth. What's happened to truth because people have set it aside. We were a young married couple. When I read in the Christian periodical that in our universities, it's no longer being taught that truth is an absolute thing. It's a relative thing. Truth is what you want it to be. And if you understand what's being taught in those universities, you can understand why people can lie through their teeth today because they, the end justifies the means. We need to teach our children what truth is. And God is unchangeable. His truth doesn't change. That's quite a good anchor for us to hold on to today. Is it any wonder that hatred, violence, and every kind of evil has become so commonplace in this nation today. Amos 8 verses 11 and 12 says, Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, excuse me, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing, can you finish it? The words of the Lord. There's going to be a famine concerning hearing the words of the Lord. We are in that famine. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. It seems we're living in that day. I hope that is not the case in our homes. I hope we fathers are intentionally making time to teach our children day by day what the word of God says. Now, I don't know about you. I know about me. My daddy was never very vocal about expressing things of the heart. I remember we had some scripture reading at times. Daddy never did much explaining it. But he often would refer to things that happened in everyday life. And we understood he was doing what he was doing because of what God's word said. I'm not putting my daddy down. His daddy didn't have devotions in the home either. And so where that is a pattern, because my daddy and my grandpa maybe didn't have devotions, does that excuse me from bringing my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Because I didn't have that example and somebody to show me how, does that excuse me? Or can we start with doing the best we know? I think that's a good thing. I don't know if I'm preaching to the choir or somebody never heard these things before or what, but I... Fathers, take, be intentional about it. From the rising up to our laying down, let us build conviction in our children by talking about the relevancy of Scripture to everyday life. Some of you know I do some writing. And someone asked me, I think it was at Martin's the other night, and you know what inspires me to write? If you read any of my books, It's when I see something that happened in everyday life. Ah, that's what that verse means. I'm not such a smart man, but when God connects something that happened, that's what that verse means. That's like shouting inside me wanting to get it out. And I think we can all with effort. Son, daughter, you know that verse we read last week? That's what that means. Great. You're not building your own convictions in them. You're building biblical convictions because you're taking them back to the Word of God with, with, to which we will all give account someday. Excuse me. The second thing I have listed is building conviction by being a good example. 
I think of my little black granddaughter, the grandson, Kevin, over there in Richmond Center, Wisconsin. Something happened a year, a year and a half ago that I just find so humorous yet so instructive. I was sitting there on their sofa. Kevin sat down beside me and I seldom crossed my legs, but I did that time for some reason. If I had a chair here, I could demonstrate it. But I saw Kevin look over at Grandpa and then a, he looked at his own legs and he brings his his leg up across his knee and then he looks over. Well, here's something a little bit different. We laugh at that. That's fine. It's humorous. Children, they say some of the best affirmations is imitation. When when your children imitate the things you do, you're getting through to them. And that can work for good things or bad things. But following parental example is a tremendous thing to build conviction in the children. So daddies, mothers, we teach biblical convictions by living out those convictions daily in our life. When daddy and mother live out what they really believe, children will catch on. If daddy, if the preacher teaches that when you drive down the road, the speed limit means a speed limit. And they see daddy going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, and then when he sees a policeman, he suddenly slows down. What does that teach the child? You all know this. This isn't rocket science. But little things and big things, our children read. And they read it like a book. When daddy and mother live out what they believe, it comes across to the children that they really do believe what they teach. As a little boy, we had extra chores Saturday evening. Don't laugh. As a little boy, we, we had extra chores Saturday evening because we had a, we had a huge dairy operation. We milked 16 Guernsey cows. And we didn't push buttons to feed them. One of us boys had to climb up the saddle and shovel the stuff over down the chute into a cart and wheel it around and shovel so much into each front of each cow. But Saturday night, when we got done feeding, guess what we did? Daddy would send us back up to shoot, and we'd throw down the salads cart so it was full for Sunday morning because that was one less thing we had to do on the Lord's Day. Daddy taught by word and example. He tried to eliminate all unnecessary work on Sunday, and I appreciate that. We would also throw enough hay down from the mow into the, in, onto the entryway so that Sunday we didn't have to throw any hay down. There was room enough for all that hay. If we had Sunday company or just or even our family, mother would do the bulk of her meal preparation on Saturday to free up Sunday from as much work as she could do in the day before. Their example and word indeed made a strong impression upon this, this young man about the Lord's Day. Be ye kind one to another. Young children in church learn that verse. It's a good verse to learn, but it's not a children's verse. It doesn't say, children be kind one to another, or does it? Be ye kind one to another. And I think it applies to children as much as it does to adults. I saw daddy and mother live it out in their marital relationship. I am sure every couple in this church has had things to work out. 
My wife and I will raise our hands. We've had things to work out. We still work some things out. But I never heard a sharp word between my father and mother all the years growing up. My children can't say that. Daddy and mother lived it out. My years at home growing up, Daddy and Mother gave a good example to us by being plugged into a church. It's not just attending a church, they were plugged in. Daddy was not a gifted speaker. He could lead singing, and he did it well. And uh, when the church doors were open, we were there. In my home, I never recalled having roast preacher for lunch. Do I need to interpret that here? You know what I'm talking about. My wife said in her home that was not the case. Her daddy did not have a good relationship with a pastor during the years that I dated and married my wife. And I'm not saying this to put her daddy down. I want to tell you the rest of the story. In his late 60s, He went to some special meetings with his son and God got a hold of her daddy Elvin at those meetings. And on the way home he told his son I have some things to make right at church. Now you're a man in your late 60s and says that that's pretty powerful. And uh, a superintendent one of his younger relatives observed the change that happened in Elvin's life. And so he asked him, one the Sunday said, he said, something has changed in your life and it looks to be the good. He said, I'm wondering, would you be willing to have the Sunday school devotion the next Sunday? Well, Elvin was not a public speaker, but he consented to do that with much trepidation. If you young men remember the first time you were asked to have a devotional, you remember the last thing you thought about before you went to bed, and the first thing you thought about when you got up in the morning was this coming assignment, you didn't sleep good that week. That was her That was her dad. When he got up the next Sunday morning, I'm reading, I wrote this down in an article. When he got up the next Sunday, he was not with confidence and poise. In fact, it was a humbled man who stood at the podium and nervously folded the detailed script he had written. Following a few Bible verses and thoughts, he shifted gears. He had some things to make right before the church he'd been part of for many years. As he read further, his emotions got the best of him, and he was soon unable to speak. The superintendents decided to get up and stand alongside him to encourage him. It was soon evident that my daddy-in-law could read no more, and turning to the superintendent, asked if he would read the rest for him. He consented and and read the remainder of that confession. The superintendent said there are three things stamped indelibly. That means you can't erase them. Stamped indelibly on his mind that Sunday morning. He told the church, Elvin has cleared himself for this congregation. And when a 60-some-year-old man does that, I say, hallelujah. That superintendent said, secondly, he said, I think there are more in this church who would benefit from following his example. And thirdly, he said, I have observed these changes in Elvin's life, and I'm convinced they are for real. I say, hallelujah. It is a wonderful thing if a man grows up and walks faithfully with the Lord and sets a good example throughout his life. Sowing a bad example is 
a difficult thing to reverse, but it can be done by the grace of God and it can speak powerfully. Something else I don't have written down here now, but the Lord reminded me just before I got up here that there was another father we knew who, sort of very popular trend 30-some years ago before we moved out here, there are some people who just would not be plugged in and part of a church. We had several couples that way in our where I left when we moved out here in 1992. And uh, Tim and Evie were one such couple. They were at that church for years, and they went to another church, and then he went to another church, and then he went back to that church, and then back to the other church. And it was five or six years ago now, I think, when we went in there, and about every other year we would visit Pennsylvania, and I, we would go over and spend an evening with Tim and Evie. And I won't forget the evening we sat down with Tim and Evie, and the wives were talking out in the kitchen, and Tim and I were sitting in the living room. And he said, "Did I, did I tell you we became members of so and so church?" I said, "No." I said, "How would that happen?" He said, "Bob, I wish we, we we wouldn't have waited that long." He said, "Yeah, there were some things we had to change," but he said, "I wish we hadn't waited so long." They had several of their children that walked off the deep end, far away, one daughter was into witchcraft and stuff, and. And even the results of that linger on to this day in some of their grandchildren. Now, they're caring for one of their grandchildren who was born out of wedlock. The daughter was in, the, in, in the, not only immorality, but witchcraft and so forth like that. And when I think of this subject, of a father being a good example, I, I think of Tim and Evie. God bless you, Tim, for doing that, for making that change. It's not easy when you've sowed your oats when you made your row and people are walking critically of you to say I was wrong and change and I pray that God would give them back the years the locusts have eaten I am well aware and saddened by the fact that some children grew up and have never had the example of father being submitted to anyone Daddy was always right, the church leaders were always wrong. And I don't know, I'm, I don't know what goes on here. So I'm not preaching and trying to point to someone, but I know that happened. I've seen it in the mission field, I've seen it in Pennsylvania, I've seen it in Minnesota. Rose Preacher was often on the menu Sunday after, Sunday noon and afternoons. The whole life was hopping from one church to another. That is a bad example. That doesn't help so conviction in the children, it makes it really easy for children to follow those erring footsteps. The same lack of submission. I know biblical submission is not a popular subject in these days where self-run, self-love run, self runs so rampant, but it is a powerful example to children and to others who look on. There are so many other areas where a parental example is very powerful in building conviction in their children. Building conviction by commendation, by commending when something is done right. I know of a young lady, one of her Bible schools, she was invited home by a fellow student, and uh, one weekend with several other, other, other of her classmates, and on Saturday night the host girl said she had gotten a movie, they were going to watch this movie at home. And uh, she think, thought her guests would be delighted to taste what was forbidden in their home church. 
This particular guest had the courage to stand alone. She said, I'm not comfortable doing that. I would ask to be excused. And on the strength of that, several of the other girls said they don't feel right about that either. And so the movie ended up being shown because one girl had stood alone. On the strength of her moral courage, several others also declined to watch the movie. The father of that girl told me the story. And what it is, what an encouragement is when a father or mother commends their son or daughter for standing alone. For standing for what is right. Another father I know tells of going home from church Sunday morning and his son started complaining in the car that he was out in the parking lot visiting with the other young men and his age and after church, doing this after church in the parking lot, one of them told a dirty joke. And he told his daddy, Daddy, I walked away. And some of the other boys sneered at him. These were church, these are the boys from the church family. The other boys said, what's the matter? Can't you handle that? I know that father commended his son for walking away and making his opinion known about those things. Also cemented in my mind, it was an incident with my oldest son. You all know who that is, right, Japheth? Picture he and his siblings shelling kidney beans on a hot afternoon on the front porch of our farmhouse. And uh, as children are wont to do, they were getting bored. And diligence was lagging. Mother showed up from the kitchen where she was canning the beans and she saw that they were goofing off. And she said, look, she said, by the time I get home from work, she said, I expect those beans are all going to be shelled. You should easily be able to have them done in that time. And so the children bent to their task with some renewed determination. A short time later, a hot air balloon came down and landed only 300, two, 300 yards away beside our garden in the neighbor's alfalfa field. They took off three or four miles from our place, and they would float depending which way the wind was blowing, but none had ever come anywhere near so close. And so down the... Down the kettle went and down across the road in the garden and over to this balloon. This was really neat. Right up, you could touch the basket and everything like that and the pilot had descended to renew his propane supply. In exchange for trampling some of the standing hay, the pilot offered to take the landowner, our neighbor, and his son for a short balloon ride. And so the neighbor climbed in the gondola. His son said, ain't no way I'm getting that thing. And so the neighbor told Japheth, Japheth did chores for them. He said, well, you can go in my sunset. So quick as a wink, Japheth jumped in and started strapping on his helmet. And all of a sudden he thought about two things. That mother had asked that he would have, that they would have the beans done by the time daddy came home. And secondly, something of this magnitude should be cleared with his parents. So off came the helmet. He jumped out of the gondola saying something like, I got to ask mom. The pilot was in a hurry until Japheth ran 100, 200 yards to the house and got permission from Mom, and he came out of the house again. The balloon was lifting off. He had missed his ride. Doris had given permission, but he missed it. Now, you can probably picture how disappointed Japheth was. We had talked at the time. Would it be neat to take a hot air balloon ride? But way back then, this was 35 years ago, it cost like $140 per hour per person. And somehow I didn't feel right spending that kind of money for a hot air balloon ride. And he, he, here he had a chance and he missed it. 
And so when I came home from work, that account was quickly related to me. And can you picture in your mind how this man felt? Have you put yourself there? Fathers, if you came home and you found out that your son wanting to get the blessing from his mother, from his parents, he actually missed the balloon ride. That blessed me to no end. Did any, have any of you read that story? Nobody? It meant so much as us parent to us parents to see his conviction lived out that that we got him some little special gift as a reminder of how much it meant to us that he was willing to do what was right. And again, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to give you the rest of the story if I may. This may stagger your imagination, but the neighbor who took the route the ride alone, his wife wrote to the pilot thanking in behalf of her husband thanking him for the ride. And she explained to him in that letter why my son did not go along. That he felt it was something that he needed to clear with his parents and he wanted to make sure he had permission before he just went ahead and did something. And she sent the letter off and that was it. A year or so later, this neighbor's wife wanted to do something special for her 80-year-old mother's birthday. And what do you guess she wanted to do? Leona, I don't know how old you are. But this lady wanted to take her 80-year-old mother on a hot air balloon ride. I don't know if you'd want to go in one or not. But she wrote to this pilot and said that uh, she'd like to schedule a balloon ride for her 80-year-old mother for her birthday. And the pilot wrote back to the neighbor's wife and said, We got it scheduled, and when you come, I want you to bring that boy along who missed the ride. I want to honor him because he honored his parents. And so instead of Japheth having a half-hour hop over to another road that evening, he got a balloon ride two hours long on a Saturday morning. I took him over there and watched that balloon lift off. And, you know, God's rewards for doing what's right don't always come in this life. But that reward is, you know, when God sends something, it's not like there's sorrow connected with it. it there was just indescribable joy in Japheth's part. He talked about that trip, seeing the rabbits down in the cornrows while they float over top of it. Incredible. Anyway. Showing or helping build conviction by commendation. You see, none of us grew up overnight, at least if your name is Stauffer. But when our children demonstrate that they are listening to God's voice and obeying it, commend them for it. That's the thing we should have been encouraging our children in. It's one thing to listen to parents, and they should, but when you know they're actually hearing God's voice as behind Daddy and Mommy's instruction, when they're reading the Word and the Word is speaking to them, and you see them responding to that, encourage that. They're not getting it from the world. Early in my mission experience, I sort of, I had sort of an adopted family in the bush, Jay and Verna Miller from Kansas. I was often their guest in the home the two years I was there as a single man, for meals, for visiting, admiring the pictures they had taken of birds. One Sunday morning, as we walked through the church, we met Jay and his family, and their little girl Doris had on a new dress that her mother had sewed for her. And I told little Doris, I said, I like your new dress. 
the mother got my attention and, and sort of held back a little bit. And so I listened to what she had to say. And she said, Bob, he said, if you want to compliment my daughter, please commend her on her character, not on her clothes. Oh, I was a, we were early married when that happened. That was, that was good for this man to hear that. Let us commend our children as they develop responsibility. Commend them for learning verses and for hiding God's word in their heart. Let us show our affirmation to them and appreciation for them when they stand for what is right. It's no easier for our children today to stand alone than it was for you and I, adults, when we were teenagers. The issues might be somewhat different, but it's just as difficult. And let us affirm them when we see them making wise, godly choices in the use of their time and when they demonstrate good stewardship in financial affairs. I hope it's okay to share this. I was, I was a machinist. We worked in extremely precise temp, uh, tolerances. One job we did had eight different dimensions and a little pin. Each of those dimensions were plus or minus one-tenth of a thousand. That's the kind of tough work we did in that machine shop. And I tell you that I, I appreciate and develop appreciation for fine instruments and machinery. I like binoculars. I like good glass to look through and see things. And I've been sort of fascinated by some of these guys that have a, they'll spend seven, eight thousand dollars for a rifle that's machined just right and they'll put a three thousand dollar rifle scope on it that's as long enough to, and they can shoot deer twelve hundred yards away. They have instruments that they can measure the wind and they calculate, they have a calculator, they're punching buttons in and they shoot one shot a thousand seventy five yards and they drop the deer or the elk or whatever it is. From a machinist standpoint, that is utterly fascinating to me that you can, that man can develop something that put a bullet out there that far, just the science, the machining of it is, is fabulous. But brothers and sisters, that somehow never sat right for me to do that as a Christian because there are so many legitimate needs all over the world that I wouldn't feel good about spending that kind of money you know, for that kind of thing. And, you know, my children see those things. And I know Daddy always makes the right, if he, Daddy always, always makes the right decision, but they know that I, as much as I would like to have one time in my life went elk hunting, it never happened. And I don't think it will happen now because at least most of the ways it gets so terribly expensive. I don't feel right about doing that because God has a work to support. The fourth area I have is building conviction by fervent prayer. And while this happens to be the fourth and the last point that I have, it's certainly not the last in importance. The conviction that we want to build in our children has a divine component to it. (coughs) Let me explain what I mean. There are people with deeply held beliefs that are not biblical beliefs. It is not just among God-fearing people that strong persuasions are held to. Horrible atrocities have been committed from yesteryear to the present because an evil mind and person had the strongly held belief and the power to carry it out. The focus of our meditation this evening has been to build biblical conviction in our children. And as such, there is clearly a divine component to that. And if we neglect that, I think we're, we're neglecting the power behind it. 
I believe it is incumbent for us as parents to pray for our children that they would develop biblical conviction in their hearts. Jesus, in Luke 22, 31 and 32, he said, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, I have prayed for you. For Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I wonder what that did for Peter, to have Jesus say, Peter, Satan wants to put you through the meat grinder, but I'm praying for you. And let our parents let us tell our children, I'm praying for you. They're going away for a weekend with friends. They're going to Bible school. They're going on a mission trip. They're going hunting for a weekend for a week. Son, daughter, I'm praying for you. My mother often told us boys, I told some of you I grew up in a well-balanced family of five boys and no girls. I won't tell you the rest of that story, but I told mother, mother told us before we left, she'd often said, boys, remember who you are. And she was not so concerned about remembering that I was a staffer, but remembering that I was God's child. Appreciate that so much about my mother. Fathers and mothers, I urge you to pray fervently for your children that they would develop strong convictions, that the things they are capable of learning at that age they would learn and find the joy of putting them into practice. I'd like to finish the story I started this morning. I didn't have time, but I told you that there's nothing quite touches the joy of knowing when you know you've heard from God and you obey that. It puts a joy in your heart that not much else and sad, can touch the same way. We were, I was having an instruction class during the Sunday school hour for 20 weeks, and uh, we got to the chapter we use CLP's 20 Biblical Foundation Studies. I don't know if that's what you use here or not. But we got on the, on the chapter of the Holy Spirit. They did their homework. We went over it. And then I, and this was of God. I'm not that smart. But I asked a question. God put it in my mind. Young people, and there was one that was 30 years old, and the rest were mid to late teens. Tell me, when have you heard the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I'd be interested to do that here, but I'm not going to. You can do it some night, Dwight. When have you heard the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And it was silent for about 30 or 40 seconds. And one of the young people said, well, when I was convicted of being a sinner that I needed Jesus I think that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me well how would you have answered that was that the Holy Spirit speaking we don't come to God except the Spirit draw us and I quoted that verse yes that's the Holy Spirit drawing you what else it went for a minute or more and finally one said well I think that it does desire that came into my heart to follow the Lord in baptism I think that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, I said, yes, I believe that was as well. What else? It was quiet. That's the last answer I got. It'd be really instructive to us to have that happen here tonight. I'm not going to. But when, think in your own mind, when have you heard the Holy Spirit speaking to you last? And what was it about? And so I would only explain more what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He would not speak of himself. 
He would remind you, he would remind us of the words that Jesus said in the Word. Uh, he would bring things to our mind as we need them. And I said, you know, the Holy Spirit is easy to quench. We can drown it out with music. We can drown it out with activity. We can get so busy we don't have time to listen to God. But the Holy Spirit often speaks in a still, small voice. And we really have to be listening for it if we're going to hear it. And so with a 10, or 10 minutes or so of instruction, I said, I'll give an extra assignment next week. I want you to be listening for the Holy Spirit. The next Sunday, when we come, I want each of you to tell me when you've heard the Holy Spirit speaking to you this week. And I was really anxious for the next Sunday. And we sat there, and every one of those young people around the circle, one, I forget all of them, some of them, one of the, I think a young man said that one of his siblings had done something sort of mean to him, and his first thought was to do something mean back. But then all of a sudden there's a verse came into his mind, be kind one to another. He said, I, Bob, he said, I think that was the Holy Spirit reminding me. I said, you're exactly right. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Someone else inspired to help someone, and they went and did that, and they felt blessed by it. I'll never forget Tracia. Shy girl. Quiet. I think she was the last one to speak. She said she went through the house one day, and she came upon a mess that her sibling had made. I never found out who the sibling was. I know all of them. But she came upon a mess. You all know what a mess is? Eight-year-olds, you know what a mess is? And her first thought was, I'm going to go tell mom to make so-and-so clean it up. But then the thought came into her mind, do you love your sibling? She thought that was the Holy Spirit speaking. I think she was right. And she answered silently in her heart, yes, I do. The thought came next, well, then why don't you demonstrate that by cleaning up the mess for, for your sibling? And so I asked Tracia, I said, so what did you do? She said, I cleaned it up. And I said, so how'd that make you feel? She would not have had to say a word. Her face lit up like a 200 watt light bulb. And that, and that wasn't, what, 15 years ago? That's when it was cemented in my heart that we know, when you know you've heard from the Holy Spirit and you obey it, such a joy, such a joy comes. It's a precious thing to hear from God, but we have to be attentive to it and listen to it. It is the aim of Satan's temptations to cause us to depart from biblical conviction. He tempts many to believe in Acts 4.12 where, where it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, but there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We pray that our children will develop a conviction that salvation is through Christ alone. There are people that are going to call you bigots or narrow-minded if you teach that today, but it's the truth of God's Word. It's not my idea. It's a biblical conviction we all need to hold. Many of our forefathers held true to their convictions, even though it meant being turned on the rack and stretched and nails put under their fingernails and stuff like that because they were convicted of biblical truths. God only knows how many prayers went up for those people in Martyr's Mirror and of all ages who were built up in their convictions of belief that their, that their convictions were not only worth living for, they were worth dying for. 
Read Revelations chapter 2 and 3 and find the words of Jesus repeated that he that endured to the end the same shall be saved. Enduring to the end speaks of having a conviction, a biblical conviction. And we should, should we not pray that our children would be built up and strengthened that they would endure to the end. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit speak expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That some shall depart from the faith depicts a departing from what was once embraced as biblical truth. I can tell you weeping of people, some close to us, who once held truths, biblical truths, who have thrown them aside. I believe the days are coming in America and are indeed are almost upon us, if not upon us, that it will not be easy to be a Christian in America. And unless this nation repents and turns from its present trajectory, those who sincerely follow the Lord will face growing persecution at the hands of unbelievers. In closing, we as a people have been quite successful, I believe, in teaching our children how to make money and how to live in comfort. Let that sink in for a minute. I think we've been quite successful as a people. I believe we have a lot of room to grow in building convictions, spiritual, biblical convictions in our children that they're worth living for and dying for. The saying, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying, is a powerful reminder that our actions do speak louder than our words. Parents, your example and your and mine have much to do with building convictions in our children. A word of commendation is so important to encourage our children when we see them both hearing God's voice and obeying and pray, oh, we must pray that God would do his part in drawing our hearts, the hearts of our children to him. My prayer is that we not only know these things and do them. And I think I shared this down at the IBF meetings. I wrote something here at the end in, in pen. And I'd like to close with this final account of a story, a true story about a man named Robert Jaffrey. He was a Canadian. His father was owner or controller of the Toronto Globe and Mail, which was a very prestigious and wealthy Toronto newspaper. And uh, Robert Jaffrey was heir. He was going to inherit this business. Tremendously successful newspaper publishing outfit. His father desperately wanted his son to go in that. He would have, been, he would have made a lot of money. But Robert was convicted that God wanted him in the kingdom work. And God wanted him to be a kingdom work in China, in the Far East. And so to prepare himself, he took it upon himself to study Chinese and became fluent in the Chinese language. And as such, Robert became very, very attracted to the Standard Oil Company. In my generation, we would know it as SO Oil, that the parent company was Standard Oil Company. You see, they SO, or Standard Oil Company, wanted to open an office in Hong Kong and they needed somebody with a name like Jaffrey, the business, the financial, the social connections, and the fact that he had a, got a good grasp of fluent Chinese. He was the man they needed. And so they wrote a letter to Robert Jaffrey saying what they wanted for him to do. 
They gave him, they offered him a fantastic amount of money in that year. I don't know what the amount was. And Robert Jaffrey wrote a letter back and said, no, thank you. Standard Oil sent another letter and they doubled the offer. And Robert wrote back, no, thank you. And then they sent Robert a telegram that said, Jaffrey, at any cost. He sent a telegram back to them and said, your wage is high, your job is too small. Two years ago I read that account and I've tried to incorporate that somehow wherever I've spoken in public. Maybe there's someone here tonight. You can make a million dollars or whatever doing building fence, milking cows, raising grain, being a machinist, making cabinets, enlisting all these things. We've taught our children to be successful financially. I think we have a far more to do to teach them to be listening and answering God's call. Robert Jaffrey did go to the Far East. I think he spent 33 or 34 years with a poor heart ministering the Far East. In the evangelical world, he became very respected in his ministry there. When the Japanese overran some of those islands in World War II, he and other missionaries were swept up with other with people and put in prison camp. I first read about Robert Jaffrey in Darlene Dibler's book, Evidence Not Seen. Her husband was with Jaffrey in that camp and both of them died. He died as a martyr for Jesus Christ. You see, all the money, the comforts, the prestige, owning the Toronto Globe and Mail was too small a job for him. He saw something that was going to endure for eternity. So I've been praying that God would raise up young men and women of conviction where the allurements of this world would grow dim and the claims of Christ and the need for proclamation would go forth. Let's bow our heads for prayer.